Well, turning to First uh, Samuel 9, we're continuing, of course, our study of First Samuel. We're seeing the history of the nation of Israel. They're moving in a transition from the time of the kings until the time of the, uh, excuse me, from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. Notice the transition. Samuel was the final judge, and he anoints Saul as the, the first king, and we'll see that this morning, these two key people. Here's, here's the, the emphasis we're going to see as we go through this passage. We, we've called it the, the private anointing of Saul, but what we're going to see as we go through this passage is the sovereignty of God. God God is sovereign. There's nothing by chance. We see as these events unfold how God is working in all of these things. And we're thankful he does the same thing in our lives. God is in control, and he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. We call this the private anointing of Saul, but what I want you to really look at as we go through the passage is how God is in control, working all things according to the counsel of his will. We'll see it as we go through it. I think one of the keys for success, of course, is in the word of God is, is faithfulness. And in fact, First Corinthians 4, 2 says, Moreover, brethren, is required of stewards to be found faithful. And that's the key. And what we want to do is each one of us in this room, when we stand before our Savior one day, uh, those of us who trusted in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, one day we'll stand before him to be rewarded for the way that we lived and what we want want to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. We look at Saul, and he's the first king of Israel, and he's a man who started well, but he failed to finish. And that's the thing. He started off great, and as we look, we'll see chapter 9, and then we get into chapter 10 and 11, and we start seeing the things that he did, and we go, wow, Saul, Saul's doing pretty good. And, and he starts off great, and then we're going to see that he fades away. That happens so many times in our lives that we know people who start out, who are their own fire for Christ, and they say, oh, I'm, I'm excited, and, and then all of a sudden you, you can't find them anymore. You don't know what happened. And, and so uh, uh, we see that in this passage this morning, we're going to see the beginning basically the beginning of Saul, who he is, what he's going to do, those kind of things. Uh, let me remind you of the background. Samuel was the judge, the last judge. He appointed his sons, and they were terrible. They, they took bribes. They did everything wrong. So the people came to Samuel and said, we want, we, you're, you're old, your sons are not good, we want a king like everybody else. And of course, Samuel got upset and went to the Lord, and the Lord said, go ahead and give them a king, because they've rejected, not you, they've rejected me. And of course, Samuel is now going to, as the final judge, he's going to turn it over, you might say. The problem is, and somebody would say, well, is it wrong for them to have a king? Because later there's going to be King David is the great king, who's the foreshadow of Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not wrong, but the problem is that, that they wanted a king, and it was the wrong time and the wrong reason. See, they wanted a king to be like all the other nations. In fact, that's what they said. We want to be like all the other nations. We want somebody who looks good to go out and to fight for us. They had not realized, and they just hadn't thought about it, that for Israel, their king was God. God was their king. And, and so what, that's why God said to Samuel, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. And so uh, they he even told him, okay, we'll, we'll give you a king, but here's what it'll be like. He'll take your land. He'll take your, your men. He'll take your women. He'll take your soldiers. He'll do workers. He, you'll ha- he'll take your land. You'll have to pay taxes. And, and then they said, see, it'll be really bad. And they all said, that's okay. We still want a king to be like everybody else. So as we go to 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're seeing, you might say, the preparation for the king. We're going to meet the background, we're going to see the very first king of Israel. The name is Saul, and we'll see it. Let me give you just a kind of a breakdown on the outline. We'll talk about the lost donkeys. That's how it starts. And then finding the seer. The seer, of course, is the prophet. That's Samuel. We'll see there's a banquet, and then we'll see the anointing, and we'll see how it all fits together. It really, we have to actually go to one verse into chapter 10 to get it. We'll really get more emphasis on that next week, or maybe two weeks from today, because next week will be Easter, which we all love, of course. Uh, 
Uh, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Watch this passage as we study it. First Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now, there was this man of Benjamin. This is the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Kish. He was the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. Now, when you see mighty man of valor, sometimes that means, like you think, that means a strong guy, a great fighter. It also means a rich person. And so Benjamin was the smallest tribe of the nation of Israel, but they had great fighters. And so we meet this man, his name is Kish, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. We're going to see that his son is going to be Saul. That's the guy we're talking about. Now, that when we think about Kish, this, he's tribe of Benjamin, and you and I would all say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the kings of Israel, going back to Genesis, were supposed to be from the tribe of Judah. And that's exactly right. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 49.10, it says the scepter will not depart from the tribe of Judah. So the first king of Israel, we'd say, well, isn't he supposed to be from the tribe of Judah? The answer would be, well, yeah, but if God chooses to, he could do some other things before he brings a king from the tribe of Judah. And that's what he did. He allows Saul to become king, who is from the tribe of Benjamin. And then later, of course, David becomes king, who's from the tribe of Judah. And David is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And, and so as we look at it, now we meet Saul. Now let's look at this guy. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person uh, than he is among all the sons of Israel. Now think about that. God is actually saying he's the most handsome guy there is. I mean, if God says you're handsome, obviously you are, right? And so he goes on to say from his shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. So he's the tallest guy. When you look out there, you could see Saul above everybody else. And 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 and, it, and and by the way, when we think about it, his name is Saul. The people had asked for a king, and of course, the name Saul means ask. And so God is going to give them uh, what they want, and they want somebody to lead them. They want somebody to look good. They they want somebody to do that. And remember this, though: God doesn't look on the outside; but He looks on the inside. And as we look at this passage, and this is what I want to highlight for you as we study it, we see the sovereign hand of God as He directs all these events. Because, see, sometimes we don't think that he's working in our lives, but he is working in every event. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 3. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants and arise and go search for the donkeys. So some donkeys got away, got lost, and so... Uh, Kish says to his son Saul, Saul, get one of the servants, and y'all go find, go find the donkeys. Well, it says he passed through the hill country of Ephraim. They passed through the land of Shilashah. They, they didn't find them. Then he passed through the land of Shalem. They weren't there. They passed through all the areas of Benjamites. They didn't find them. They couldn't find the donkeys for some reason. And then it says, then they came to the land of Shuf. And, and Saul said to his servant who was with him, hey, come, we, we better go back. Let, let's return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys, and he'll be anxious for us. So he says, listen, you know, we've been out here for a long time. We haven't been able to find the donkeys at all. And, you know, if, if we don't get back soon, my dad is going to start saying, I hope my son's okay, because it's, it's, so he's going to quit worrying about the donkeys. He's going to start worrying about us. Maybe we better go on back. But notice what happens. He said to him, now this is the servant, behold, now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Who do you think they're talking about? 
They're talking about Samuel. He's the prophet of God. Everything, we go all the way back to like chapter 4, 5, where it says everything that Samuel ever said came true because he's a prophet of God. And he says, all that he says come true. Let, let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Perhaps we can go there. He, he may know what to do, by the way. So the slave knows about this man of God, the prophet in the area, which is the city of Ramah. Let me put this up, and I want to show you something that's a little strange. Okay, Saul's hometown was Gideon. Gibeah. Samuel's hometown was Ramah. That's where he was. Here's Jerusalem, Bethlehem, south of that. That's David's hometown. Here's the thing. If you lived in Ramah, uh, and, and, or if you lived in Gibeah, wouldn't you know of, of Samuel? Wouldn't you have known who Samuel is? Wouldn't you have thought that, that Samuel, oh yeah, the prophet Samuel, he doesn't live very far from me. But he doesn't seem to know him. And they actually don't even know his name, and they're not even sure what he looks like. Now, this seems strange, but if you remember, the nation of Israel continues uh, after, as Samuel got old, the nation begins to move away again. And now you've got people who, they're not following Samuel. In fact, that's why they came to him and said, your sons are bad, you're old, we want a king. And, and so I think that Saul, obviously, at this point, doesn't even know exactly who Samuel is. Now, if you remember about Samuel, Samuel was a prophet, Samuel was a priest, and Samuel was a judge. He's a famous and powerful man, and yet Saul doesn't really know who he is. So look at verse 6 again. He says, now, there's this man of God. I've heard it. This is what the, the servant says. There's this man of God in the city. He's held in all honor. Everything he ever says comes true. Maybe we could go there. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servant, well, if we go there, what are we going to bring the man? See, he's not even saying Samuel. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, Samuel. He says, what, what, what should we bring the man? For the bread is gone in our sack, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? He says, well, I don't know what to do, because if we go see somebody like a prophet or a seer or a man of God, shouldn't we take a present? I mean, we could go in and say, we brought this present for you, and we got a couple of questions for you. And we can't just go in and just go start talking to him. And so what, what should we do? Well, look at verse 8. The servant said, or answered Saul and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver, and I can give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. So he said, I just happen to have a, a, a it's not a lot of money, but I've got a, a coin. We could, we could offer him the coin, and then we could ask him to tell us what to do, which way to go, and what to do. Now, as you look at this, you see the sovereign, sovereignty of God. It just so happens that the donkeys were lost in this area. It just so happens that the servant remembers as a prophet, and it just so happens he has money, and it just so happens all this is working out at the same time. And let me just say this to you. It is not just so happens. This is God working all things. God is working everything to get Saul at the right place in the right time. Look at look at verse 9. He just wants to, the writer wants us to understand something. He says, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, come, let's go see, let's go to the seer. For he was for, called a prophet now, was formerly called a seer. He says that in the old days, you didn't say prophet, you said seer. Because what a seer was, was they could see the future. They could, that's why they were a seer. They could see the future. And so uh, instead of saying, let's go see the prophet, they said, let's go see the seer. So they said, well, let's, and that's what they're going to call him. They're not going to call Samuel the prophet of God. They're going to call him a seer. And so look what happened. It says, then Saul said to his servant, well, well said. Come, let's go. 
So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now, it doesn't even say what the city is, but it's most likely Ramah. It's most likely the hometown of Samuel. Remember, he's a circuit judge, and sometimes he's at Gilgal, and sometimes he's at Bethel, and sometimes he's at Ramah, sometimes he's at some other places. So he moves around. We saw that uh, toward the end of, of when it talked about his ministry. Now, watch what happens when they get to the, to the little town. Watch what happens. As they came up the slope to the city, this is verse 11. They found young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? So they found these, these women coming out and they said, is the seer here? Remember, he's a circuit judge, so he may not be there. And so they said, is he here? And they answered, verse 12, and said, he is. See, he is ahead of you. They're saying, he's up that way. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today, for the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. Now, this is something special. This is something special. They said, yes, he's here today. There's, there's a special banquet today. That's what they're talking about when they said he is here. And notice it says, he has come in the city today for the people to have a sacrifice on the high place. And the high place, and by the way, you remember the tabernacle and the, and the Ark of the Covenant, uh, everything got all messed up. And so the Ark of the Covenant is actually at uh, Beth Shemesh, a member of the place, and it stayed there for, for, you know, for 14 years or 20 years before they ever brought it back when King David brings it back. And so here they are, and, and there's a high place. And what they would do in certain cities, uh, a, a prophet would come or a priest could come, and at a high place they would have a banquet and offer a sacrifice. And they did that until everything was established in Jerusalem. So here is Samuel in this city this day at this time, and he happens to be having a banquet. Now, you know who the banquet is for? It's for Saul. He doesn't know it. Samuel actually doesn't know it, exactly who Saul is yet. And the people don't know what is there. But God has arranged that Samuel is there having a banquet and a special day, and Saul is going to show up, and Saul is the whole purpose for the banquet, and they don't even know it. So watch what happens. The girl says, yeah, he's here. He's there for a sacrifice. And then they said, as soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those, notice, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up and you'll find him at once. And so the girls say to him, you, 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 get, you better get to him quickly because, see, there's going to be a banquet today. Once the banquet starts, only the people invited get to go to the banquet. Obviously, you're not invited. We don't, you don't even know who, who you are. We don't know who you are, and you don't even know who he is. So obviously, the banquet isn't for you. The truth is the banquet is for him. He doesn't know it. Nobody else knows it. And so she said, the girls say, just if you can find him, find him before he goes up for the banquet. It's a special meal. And it's a special sacrifice. And what is so amazing is God is working this. And he doesn't, it, 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 Saul doesn't even know this is for him. And uh, so the ark had been at Kerithurim. It's been there for a long time. So they go into the city. And by the way, God is working. There is no such thing as chance. God has planned for this for Saul. And do you realize something? God is working in our lives in the same way. You don't always know it. You may not ever understand it sometimes, but there are things that go on in our lives that we say, wow, it just, wasn't that great? And you go, yeah, how did that just sort of happen? It doesn't just sort of happen. And God is working in your life. 
God is taking our lives and he protects us and he loves us and he works in our lives. And sometimes he allows bad things to come in our lives. Sometimes he allows good things to come in our lives. But he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing is outside of that. And that's why we don't have to be anxious or afraid. We don't have to be, say, oh, I hope fate doesn't get me or oh, bad luck. There's no such thing as luck. There's no, there's no such thing as luck. God is working all things. Well, the banquet, they're at the high place. It's on top of a hill. Best we can understand when they get to the top of the hill, it's the high place of a city, and they built a, a little room or a place where they would eat and have the banquet. It could be inside. It could be outside. We're not really sure and, and see what happens. So look uh, at verse so, so they went up to the city, and as they are coming to the city, watch, watch this. As they were coming up to the city, as they came in the city, Samuel was coming out toward them. It just so happens Samuel's coming, and he's walking right toward Saul and the slave. And we'd say, well, uh, God is working all things. So watch. Now watch. We get a little background. Verse 15. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. Now, the day before, God has given some information. I want you to think about this. God has given information to Samuel the day before so that Samuel, won't, Samuel could say, how do I know who's going to be the first king? Because remember, God already told them, uh, we're going to give them a king. Samuel told everybody to go back to their houses and go back to their homes, and we'll, we'll get a king. He doesn't know how they're going to get a king. And now God says to him, tomorrow at this same time, there's going to be a man coming. Get the banquet ready for him. He's going to be coming, and he's going to be the king. So watch what happens. Now, a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to him. He said, about this time tomorrow... I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be the prince over my people Israel, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. The cry is they want a king. He says, I'm going to give you a king. And he says, by this time tomorrow. Now think about this. At the same time, he said, about the same time tomorrow, a man from the tribe of Benjamin is going to come. That's going to be the king. And he says, I want you to anoint him. And I want you to notice something. If you read the Bible carefully, notice it didn't say anoint him as king. It says anoint him as prince. Now, the, the Hebrew word for king is melech. And the, the, there's a different word here. This is the word for one out front. This is the one for a ruler, but he's out front. He's going to use different words. I'm not saying he's not a king. I'm just saying he doesn't use the word king here. He says the word prince here, which means one out front. And he says he's coming. He says about this same time tomorrow, he's going to be showing up. And so what we don't realize is that everybody thinks Samuel showed up to have a banquet. And nobody knows why. Samuel knows he's providing the banquet because the king is coming into the city at this same time and he's going to be from the tribe of Benjamin. So watch what happens. When Samuel saw, saw Saul, the Lord said to him, now this is the Lord speaking to Samuel. Now let me ask you a question. How did he do it? Did he just think it? Did he hear it and say it must be the Lord's voice? Did the Lord say, Samuel... Listen, that's the guy I was telling you about. How did he do it? It doesn't say. It doesn't say at all. It just says this. And the Lord said to Saul, to Samuel, when Samuel saw Saul, Behold, this is the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall rule over my people. God is so exact. He says, this is the one that I told you about. You know, he's going to anoint 
uh, Saul was the first king. When you think about Jesus was the anointed one in the Old Testament as the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so in 1 Samuel uh, 19, 17, it says God is directing his event. Listen, God doesn't want uh, Samuel to miss out. And, you know, God directs our lives. It's not always that. It's not, it's, sometimes it's, it may be you just say, I just think I should do this. But a lot, most of the time we go back to the word of God. We have great freedom, freedom to, to live and to make choices and wise decisions, always going back to the scripture to see things that might be right or wrong. But a lot of decisions we make are not right and wrong decisions. We have the freedom to make any decisions we want unless we have scripture that tells us Yes or no on certain things. Well, God is directing, and he's, he wants this particular man to be the king. And so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, this is the man I told you about. This is the man I spoke to you. This one shall rule over my people. God didn't want him to miss it. Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Where is it? Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. I meant he went to him and said, oh, I need to know where the seer lives because i got to talk to him. He says, I am the seer. And then he says this, go up before me to the high place. You go to the high place. For you shall eat with me today, and in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that's on your mind. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. He says, he says the seer says, I'm the seer. Get ready. You're going to go with me to the banquet. Then what Saul doesn't realize, he's the main person in the banquet. And nobody else knew that either. And he gives him some instructions. He says, go up and eat with me today. And in the morning, you're going to spend the night. And in the morning, I'm going to tell you what's on your mind. And then he gives him something to tell Saul what's going on. He says, as for your donkeys, which were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them. Don't worry about them. They have been found. And as for whom is all that is desirable in Israel, is it not for you and for all your father's household. He says, first of all, don't worry about it. The donkeys have been found. Let me give you a little information. Don't even worry about it. You, you've been looking for those donkeys. And, you know, you can almost see Saul know, say, how did he know I was looking for donkeys? How does he know they've been found? How does he know? He, he's a prophet of God. He's a seer. He knows it. He knows it. God has revealed it to him. He says, for those, for those donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't set your mind on them. They've been found. And then he raises this point. And, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Do you know who's desirable in Israel? They want a king. He says, who is desirable in Israel? Why, why does the nation want a king? You know what? Saul understands what he's saying. Samuel is saying to Saul, you know who's the most desirable one in Israel? What does Israel want? What do they want? They want a king. He says, it's you. Listen to what he says. Is it not you for all you and your father's household? Samuel, Saul, Samuel says to Saul, you're the one everybody's wanting. And Saul grasped it, and look what he says. Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me this way? He says, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm nothing. We, we, our, our, the tribe of Benjamin is the smallest tribe of all the tribes of Israel, and my family's not that big, and why are you saying to me, I'm the desired one of Israel? And Saul, Saul said, why do you speak to me this way? And by the way, I want you to think about this. Sometimes we often think if something is small or it's not big, then it's not as good or as important as it should be. Sometimes people say, well, that's a real big church. That's a little bitty church. That little bitty church, well, you know, it's a little bitty church. You know, big churches are good and little churches are not so good. Well, who knows? 
Who knows? A church with a very small number of people can be touching lives all over the world, and a church that's a big bunch of people may just be going through the motions. You never know. You can't look at the size of anything. I still think back, we're going to see it when we see that they pick David to be the king, and all those brothers line up, and, and Samuel goes and says, no, 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 no. Is there anybody left? And they go, ah, yeah, the youngest one, he's the, he's the youngest and the smallest, and he's just out there with the sheep. We don't even count him. He says, better bring him in. And see, sometimes we look on the what? The outside, and God looks on the inside. And even Saul says, I'm not that great. And you know, I, that's why I say I think Saul started out so good. He started out so good. And uh, so look what happened, and I have to go a little bit faster now. It says, Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place, notice, at the head of those who were invited, which were about 30 men. They had 30 men invited to the banquet, and they bring them up. And what we realize is the banquet is honor, is really an honor of Saul. And so look what happened. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you concerning which I said to set it aside. The very best piece of meat, the best steak that big, cooked perfectly, has been prepared for Saul. And that's what he says. And so he says, bring it out. Then the cook came up with the leg and what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here's what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat because it has been kept for you until this appointed time since I said I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Wow. Everything is planned by God. Everything is planned by God. We see that God's working on all. There's nothing by chance. And in your life, there's nothing by chance. There's no such thing as faith. There's no such thing as bad luck. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And so watch what happens. And I call this the private anointing. And watch what happens. They came down from the high place when they got through eating. Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. Now, we don't know. In those days, houses, they they usually were square, and they had, you know, doors and things, and you went in. And then most houses had a way to get up on the roof, and they had a rail around it. In fact, it was a law that you had to have a rail around the roof because people usually, a lot of times, when it was really hot, they slept on top of the roof because it was cooler at night to sleep up there, and they would talk up there. Notice it says that when they'd come down from the high place in the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. So they go to a house somewhere, and they're talking. And then it says, and they arose early. And at daybreak, Samuel called to Saul, on the roof, they must have spent the night on the roof. Get up, and then I may send you away. So Saul arose, he and, both he and Samuel, and he went out in the street. So now they're about to leave, and look what happens. He says, and as they were coming down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, say to your servant that he might go ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. He said, uh, tell your servant to go on ahead because i got something to talk to you about. I'm going to tell you the word of God. Now, this is incredible. Samuel's going to tell him. He says, tell, tell, the, tell the servant to go ahead. And this is going to be the private anointing. We're going to see it in chapter 10, verse 1. We'll just mention it. There's the casting of lights. So it's going to happen later on. And then there's the public anointing of Saul. Look at verse 10, uh, chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? He has now anointed Saul as the ruler. Saul is now set apart as the king of the nation of Israel. Well, when do you start the job? You know, 
Uh, do, do you check in and say, by the way, I'm the king. When do I start? Do I start next Tuesday? I mean, when, when do I start as king? We're going to see as we look a little bit into the future that he doesn't just come in and say, I'm now the king. Here's my scepter. Everybody bow down and I'll tell you what to do. That's not what's going to happen. And we'll see it as we go through it. By the way, anointing. When you think of anointing, Jesus was anointed as the prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet who is the word of God and speaks the word of God. He is the priest who offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we see this. And when we we see that God has anointed Saul, which is a picture of the power of God coming upon him. Same thing for us. God always supplies the strength and power to do whatever he asks us to do. That's why the Bible says, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is our strength. I'm going to go very quickly through our applications. The first one is this. Let's understand that God is working in our lives. He is the sovereign ruler of all events. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. We can rest in the security that God is in control and nothing ever happens by chance. Uh, As we look at this passage, the donkeys were lost. They they came to the exact right place at the right time. God had told him this. The bank was already prepared. Everything worked out perfectly. And in our lives, we know that God works all things together for good. Those who love God, those are called according to his purpose. Uh, There's more to that verse than just saying that, and we'll talk about it some other time when we have more time. But God is working in our lives. The second thing is this. Let's understand the Holy Spirit gives us the power to serve God in the same way that God anointed Saul and Saul, the Holy Spirit's coming upon Saul. We're going to see that in the next couple of weeks as we go through the passages. We're going to see that God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we must abide in him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We'll live righteously and godly. And finally, one last thing. Let's understand that God keeps his word. He does. What did they say? Israel wanted a king. God gives them a king. Sometimes he gives us what we want, and sometimes that may not be the very best. We have to trust him and depend on him.